we're going to be looking at um, something that, that, honestly, I mean, it, it excites. I don't, if it doesn't excite every single preacher ever, this is one of those areas of the Bible that preachers love, love to talk about. You all thought I got excited about yelling, behold, the son of, you know, I mean, the Lamb of God is here? Just wait, because we get to a place where we get to see Jesus flip over tables. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be one of two times that, that if you read through your Bible, I always encourage you to look at your Bible, read your Bible, but this is going to be one of two times that you're going to see where Jesus went in and he flipped over tables. Some people will tell you that this is the same event. Um, I don't follow that logic. I think there is two separate events. Um, I think this one here in John is separate than the one that you will read about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, just as I've just now said, this account of Jesus flipping over tables is mentioned in all four Gospels. However, the one in John is slightly different. It's slightly different. And again, it's a good reason for why we should be um, reading our Bibles. So let's look at the text together, and then we will dive in. <clears throat> Starting there at verse 13, it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. I love this. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not Make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scriptures and the words that, or the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. I don't know if y'all are excited, but I'm excited. Listen, this is, this is amazing, amazing stuff. Jesus, we get to see, this is one of those times where we get to G see Jesus get angry. Right? Everybody wants to talk about Jesus. You know, Jesus is love. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is one of these people that you're just going to follow, and all he wants is the absolute best for you. Carol, what is it that we always say? Live your best life now. That's what Jesus wants. We don't say that. We never say that. You know why? Because being a Christian is tough, and it's hard. Nobody ever said that this road was going to be easy. There's people on TV who will tell you, just trust in Jesus and live your best life now. We don't follow that concept because Jesus, while we know we go through hardships, while we know we go through trials, 
Jesus is there to help us in the process of coming out of those things. Or in the process of walking through those things. We're not guaranteed that Jesus is going to go, you know what, you got something hard going on, I'm just going to take that away from you. Amen? When have, when have any of you ever experienced that you were just like, man, I'm in the midst of this just horrible, 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 horrible situation, and you're going, Jesus, please help me. And then you go, two months later, you're going, Jesus, please still help me. Now, if he wanted to, he could, in a word. He could very much end whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever trials, whatever it is that we're going through. He could, he could totally, just in a word, change our situations. But what we know is oftentimes, those things are done where we can then lean on Jesus. We can call on his name. We can become stronger. We can become more obedient to following him in his ways because his ways are right, his ways are perfect, and we're not. And so leaning on Jesus in this way is key. And this situation here that we're looking at where Jesus is angry, he goes in and he disrupts what's going on in the temple, Here's what we get to see. I believe that this is a separate event apart from what you would see or read about in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John's account is different in that um, here we get to see that this event is happening at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Remember, Jesus, when he came, he, he was walking this earth for, for several years. But, but this event is being explained at the beginning of his ministry, whereas with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's being explained toward the end of his ministry before his death on the cross. Jesus, here mentioned in this text, we get to see something really cool. That's Jesus sitting down and he's making a whip out of cords. Can you just imagine Jesus Jesus of love, the Jesus that never wants anything bad for anybody, the Jesus that the people just simply believe. You, he skips through fields of flowers, and he's just happy old Jesus, just trusting happy Jesus. Jesus is love, love, love. Except for he's sitting down, he's making a whip of cords because he's about to cause some chaos and stir some people up. Does that sound like the same Jesus of just love, 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 and, and just happiness, and, and I just want your best life now? Or does that sound like somebody who's about to go in and correct a problem? That's what he's about to do. He's about to go in and stir things up unlike they have ever seen before. So he sits down to, to make that, cord of, uh, that, that whip made of cords. That's something that we don't see in those other three accounts. It's a very key piece of information for us. When Jesus speaks, one of the, the things that he says in John here as he says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, the disciples are there. They're witnessing these things. In John, this is what he says. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he says something completely different. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. That's completely different. And so the fact that we have this event happening in John at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where Jesus is making a whip of cords and he is saying, don't turn my father's house into a house of trade, it is completely different than things that we get to see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where we don't get any mention of him making this whip. We don't get 
the, the same words coming from Jesus saying, you're making my, my father's house into a den of robbers. It's two separate events. Now, when we continue to go through this text and we realize now that this is, that this is an event all on its own, this is Jesus sort of, sort of shaking things up right out of the gate. You know, a lot of times you figure, you know, people are going to come in and it's like, well, I'm just going to lay low. I'm just going to, I'm not going to shake anything, you know. Jesus is coming right out of the gate with a whip. And he's coming in to interrupt what is happening in the temple. Now, this is at the time of Passover. It wasn't bad enough that he was going to go in and disrupt things in the temple, shaking and moving a whip and driving people out of the temple. It's not enough that he was going to do that, but he's going to do it also in Passover, which is only like the biggest Jewish celebration that they have. The, it's, it's not, it, I mean, it's, it's the time of, of year when, when you've got all of Israel coming into Jerusalem. All of them. Like, everybody's making a trek. They are coming in. Now, here's the problem that Jesus sees with this. The Passover is coming. It's at hand. It says Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Um, the, the, and, and here's what we know. So again, the Jewish Passover is celebrated in remembrance when the Lord had mercy over the Israelites. The Lord had mercy on them. The, this, was, this was, if you go all the way back into to Exodus, you're going to see that this is when the 10th plague was coming about the people. And in this 10th plague, the Jewish people, they then took and they sacrificed lambs and they painted the lamb's blood up above their door frame to keep the destroyer, what Scripture says, the destroyer from coming and taking their firstborn. The firstborn of the Egyptians were all taken that night. And so they celebrate Passover because the destroyer passed over them and let their children live. God had mercy on them. So they come together every year and they celebrate this time together. And, and it says that they were in the temple and now they're selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And the money changers are sitting there because not every place had the same money. So they would have to go in and say, hey, this is the money I have and I, I need to give you this in exchange for this so that, and then I can take this money, the money that you all use, and I can go over here and I can buy a lamb or a sheep or a pigeon or whatever it was that I needed to use so that I could then go into the temple, make that as an offering, have it sacrificed, and atone for the sins of me and my family. And that was the process that they used. These people would, again, they would travel hundreds and hundreds of miles, and, and what they didn't want to do was, was drag with them an animal all that way, so they would just wait till they got to the temple and purchase one. When God commanded these things, he said, I want you to offer up what you have, your best from your flock. And so what we don't see here is Jesus necessarily having a problem with, with people not bringing an animal with them, although we're not given that information in the text. He could absolutely have a problem with that, but we don't know. And I'm not going to read into it. But what we know is, is these people had an opportunity now to buy or purchase their sacrifice that was going to be given. And, and it makes us wonder, like, why was Jesus so set up? Why was Jesus so angry? Was it because that they had set up a temple 
uh, in the temple a marketplace? Was it because they, they had basically set up shop inside the temple walls so that people could come in and purchase their sacrifices? Was it, was it that Jesus was upset because they were making a convenience for people? Was, was Jesus upset just at, at, at the fact that it was inside the temple? Was he, would he have been as upset if it was outside the walls? Again, we aren't given that information. All we know is that Jesus looked at what was going on, at what was happening, and he was not happy. So it says he sat down to make that whip of cords. And it says that he went and he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he pours out the money from the, uh, the, the coins from the money changers, and he overturns their tables. Like, can you imagine? There is Jesus shaking things up and he's cracking the whip and he's causing oxen to run in the temple can you imagine the chaos that that would have been extreme chaos like you've got oxen and sheep running about making noise like they don't run gently they're not like oh i'm gonna get out of here like like it's a stampede kind of thing that's happening and 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 jesus is in there going get out of here go on yeah like i don't know i'm not a country guy y'all so i'm doing the best i can and um so he's shaking things up and he's stirring up everything and then he walks over and he sees the money changers tables and you all are lucky because i was actually going to get a table today and flip it for you just so you could hear the racket that it would just make here but so that you could sort of reference like what would have that it sounded like in the temple and he's flipping over the table and stuff's flying through the air like it's insane what is happening and what is going on and to picture that that's jesus doing that like is that the picture of jesus that you all have is that the picture of Jesus that, that we are about to celebrate, this coming little young baby? This, this person who helped the blind see, the lame walk, raised people from the dead? Like, is that the picture of Jesus that we see, or is it the Jesus that is shaking up the world? Because that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come so that he could live by the law of man. He came so that he could be obedient to God the Father. Period. And so, the reason that Jesus was angry, and, 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 and I want to make sure I'm mentioning, it wasn't just that Jesus, because when I get angry, I don't do it right. If you make me angry, I'm probably going to sin in the process of my anger. Jesus had what, what we like to refer to as righteous anger. He looked at it from a perspective that he said, how would my father deal with this? Would my father be pleased? He was so connected to to God the Father that that he made sure his life was obedient to him before anything else. We don't operate that way. I get mad, I get frustrated, I get angry, I say things I shouldn't say. I think things I shouldn't think. I do things that I shouldn't do. Jesus never did that. What Jesus, what Jesus did here in this situation is he said, these things should not be going on in my Father's temple, in my Father's house of prayer, because what those people should have done is prepared before they got here. They should have been ready. Their hearts should have been made right, and then they should have came in, and they should have laid their hearts, and, their, and they should have bowed their heads before God the Father in this place. They came in with a wrong mindset. They came in thinking they could just simply cut through, simplify and circumvent the system. I'm going to find the easy way out. 
It's what we do as Christians, isn't it? We look for the easy way out. How can I shortcut what's happening here? You see, I mean, like, like just imagine for a second. Had these people taken a, a lamb and they had drug it for 200 miles to get to Jerusalem, do you think that lamb would have been without blemish by the time it got there? I mean, remember, we're not talking about paved roads. We're talking about out in the wilderness. We're talking about people being, being in the elements. They're not being sheltered. They're not moving in covered wagons and all of that jazz. We're talking about people who are moving and carrying with them. By the time they would have got there, they would have said, this offering isn't even close to being acceptable. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to circumvent the system. I'm going to make a shortcut. I'm just going to buy it when I get there. And, and again, it's not necessarily that there was anything wrong with that, but, but were they doing their absolute best? Were they preparing themselves for the journey ahead? Were they preparing their hearts for when they got there? Were they ready to, to, pray, and praise, to pray and praise to the Lord God? And the answer to that is no. They weren't ready. And Jesus, seeing this, had a righteous anger for they were not coming before God rightly. The temple was intended for prayer. It was not intended for greed. The people who were there selling all of these animals, they were getting rich. It's not so much that they said, oh, hey, I'm going to charge you a fair fee for these animals coming in. They charged an exuberant exuberant amount of money for them for your convenience you're going to pay for your convenience you're going to come in and you're going to give me whatever it is that i ask for and i'm going to get rich it was no different than the tax collectors when they went around they didn't just charge people the tax that was owed they charged the tax and then some so that they could line their own pockets you see we do that oftentimes too it's what's in it for me how much can i gain and the Pharisees and the scribes and the people who were here in the temples on this day, they were no different. They were doing whatever they could for themselves and they were lifting themselves up higher than they should have when really they should have been humbling themselves and doing what was right. Jesus saw through every single bit of this. The problem became that people's greed consumed them. The Pharisees' greed consumed them. Everything about who the Pharisees, the, Sad the Sadducees, the scribes, all of these people selling all of these animals, this greed consumed them. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Matthew chapter 6 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Get this, he says, you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve both. You've got to make a choice. Who am I following? Who am I being obedient to? Am I being obedient to the mighty dollar, or am I being obedient to the Lord God? Who is it? What is it? These people were not being obedient. These people were not prepared. These people were not living their lives with the Lord God first and foremost. Jesus then drives these sheep out. He drives out all of the oxen. He begins to pour out all the coins because he says, these things have no place here. You should have come prepared. You should have made your hearts ready. 
You should have presented yourself before the Lord God and humbled yourself before Him in my Father's house, which is a house of prayer. Prayer is one of the most important ways for us to build a relationship with the Lord God. It's one of the, the reasons that, that we practice that here. It's one of the reasons that we gather here on Wednesdays. It's, it's one of the reasons that we encourage everyone here to be in prayer. It's the reason that we put things on our Facebook to say, hey, look, this person has a need, that person has a need. We want to be in prayer together because prayer is powerful. And when you reduce that power of prayer and you say that money and greed and self-gain is more important, Jesus will always have a problem with that. Always. Jesus will always have a problem with that, and he will shake your house up. The disciples, it says in verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is from Psalm 69.9. They knew what the scriptures were. They knew what scriptures taught and what they said. And as they watched Jesus lead by example, they were like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So then when the Jews approach him now because he's caused such a ruckus, and they're like, who are you? Like, like, what, like what, is all, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus gives them this answer. He says, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise, I will raise it up. And the Jews are, it's almost like a mocking. It took 46 years to build this place. You mean to tell me what we, it took us 46 years to do, you're just going to do it in three days. You're going to raise this place back up in three days. And because of how dense the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody that was in leadership were, because of how dense they were, they couldn't grasp that Jesus wasn't talking about brick and mortar. Does Jesus ever talk about brick and mortar? Has Jesus ever talked about brick and mortar? Has, has he ever said that this place, this building, is what's going to save people? He's never once said that. You'll never hear me once say, come here in this building and you will be saved. It's never going to happen. I'll never preach that message. You know what I'll tell you? That here we talk about Jesus. Here we preach about Jesus and we tell you about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, about his birth, which is what we're getting ready to celebrate. We're going to talk about his death and we're going to talk about his resurrection where he proved himself to be the one true king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you give your life over to him and him alone, if you follow him and you surrender to him only, Jesus Christ can give you salvation and give you everlasting life. This building doesn't matter. This building can collapse tonight and we can come gather in the parking lot next Sunday and 50 people can be saved. This building doesn't matter. That temple didn't matter. What matters is the heart. Jesus doesn't care about the building. It's never been about the building. It will never be about the building. They're here going, it took us 46 years to build this place. And you mean to tell me that you're just going to lift it up? Like, this is where people have to come so that they can get right with God. And Jesus is going, no, you're wrong. And they say, well, then show us. Show us how we're wrong. Do you, do you all get that, like, in, in Scripture, like, we're given more than 30 examples, more than 30, of Jesus performing miracles. 
Jesus was performing miracles in front, of, in front of these people, in front of the Jewish leaders, in front of the, the Pharisees and the scribes and all of these people. And they're saying, well, what sign do you give us? Jesus is like, I just got done turning water into wine. Like, does that count for anything? Like, I'm going to be making the blind see, make the lame walk. I'm going to do a lot of things. And I'm going to do them, guess what? Out of these walls. Because this place doesn't lock me in. This place doesn't hold me back. This place doesn't, doesn't keep me from doing the work that my Father has sent me here to do. I'm going to be obedient wherever I go. He performs more than 30 miracles, and the priests consistently don't believe. John chapter 5, it says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it says that they bear witness about me. He tells them that. Jesus says, you're searching the scriptures. You're looking through the law to figure out how you can be saved. And every one of those things are pointing to Jesus Christ as being the Savior. And he goes, you're just too blind to see it. You're too dense to realize it. Church, are we not that different? Do we not oftentimes find ourselves committing to other things and putting priorities over Jesus consistently all the time. We gather our church twice a week, mostly once on Sunday. We come here, we're here, sometimes we're here a little bit longer. We're going to be here a little bit extra time today, so hopefully you pack the lunch. Listen, we're only... We're only giving God like a couple of hours on a Sunday. That's it. We should be in communion with God every single day. Every single day. That's what Jesus did. He lived his life for the Lord God, his Father. He lived his life for him. And we, sometimes like we struggle to just give him a day, a couple hours in a day. Like, what does that say about us? That the Lord Jesus, who's performed over all these, all these just tons of miracles, and he's going, you still can't believe in me. What does that mean? He says, all these scriptures that you're looking to, people, all of this points to Jesus. Every single word of it. It points to Jesus. And we struggle constantly to follow Him and to live for Him and to devote ourselves to Him and to commit ourselves to Him. There's a guy named Stuart Chase, and he says this. He says, for those who believe, no proof is necessary. Amen? For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, there is no proof necessary. I believe in the Lord God. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior because I have felt Him. He saved my life, people. I'm excited about the way that he has moved in my life. Have you ever been touched by Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. God is moving. God is at work. People recognize the fact that Jesus Christ has come and he's given you something that you could never obtain on your own. And that is saving grace. That is hope. It's eternal life found only through him. Stuart Chase said, for those who believe, there's no proof necessary. But here's the key. He says, for those who don't believe, there's no proof possible. 
Meaning, some people will just simply harden their hearts and they will refuse to believe no matter what. It doesn't matter that Jesus performed over 30 different miracles for these Pharisees and scribes and, and everybody else, all these Jewish leaders. It doesn't matter that he did any of those things. You know why? Because their hearts were hardened and they were like, nope, not falling for it. Period. It's sad. It's sad that that's the way that it is. But Jesus presses on. He doesn't simply stop or get discouraged along the way. He doesn't do that. He tells them, destroy this temple. Knock it down. I will raise it up in three days. Of course, he was talking about his own body. That's exactly what he did. He lived up to, again, this amazing miracle. The most important miracle that we have as Christians is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he died and, amen, three days later, he rose from the grave, people. And we have victory found only through him. It has nothing to do with going, what's happening inside the building. It's everything to do with Jesus. It's always going to be about Jesus. This brick and mortar has nothing to do with any of it. It's going to be about faith. It's going to be about heart. It's going to be about the grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, and we're, we're getting close, I promise. It says he was speaking about the temple of his body there in verse 21, when therefore he raised, you know, it says when therefore he was raised up from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now that's, that's great. They believed and they were already followers of Christ Jesus. But these people who didn't know Jesus, who had no relationship with him, they struggled, right? And Jesus knew that they were struggling. If you look at verse 23, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, so again, Every, all these people are there. They're gathered. It, I mean, scholars will tell you, like, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people there in the city. And it says, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs. They saw the proof of Jesus, and they believed. There's many people who didn't. And it says in verse 24, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because some people, they have to believe with their eyes. And that's not what it's about. It's about your heart. Do you, do you know who Jesus is? There's a difference in, in knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus. Does that make sense? I knew who Jesus Christ was when I was growing up as a Catholic and as, as a kid. But I did not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. There's a clear distinction between the two. Do you know Jesus? And he's saying, I'm not going to rely that these people, I'm not going to entrust that these people do actually know. And it says because he knew all people. It's key here. He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself, get this, he himself knew what was in man. You know why? Because he was there at the beginning. You jump all the way back to Genesis and says that the Lord created man. And what was it that it said there in Genesis? The Lord God said, let us make man in our image. Jesus was there. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man because he created the heart of man. He created the heart of man. He knows us intimately because he designed 
every DNA cell that you have. Hair on your head, toes on your feet. It's all because of Jesus. He knows all people. says he knew what was in man. Jesus is able to see not only the past, but he's able to see through today and into the future and to know what is on your heart and where your heart is. He knows today if you will ever surrender your heart to him. He knows whether you will not ever surrender your heart to him. He knows if you've truly surrendered your heart to him or if you still are needing to do that. And here's the kick. Here's the kicker. You're the only one that knows that. You and Jesus. I can't tell you. Are you saved? I hope you are. Am I saved? Absolutely. You know why? Because I trusted my heart to the Lord Jesus. I believed in him and I have professed faith in him. The question is, have you? And if you haven't, make that Make that change today. Call on his name and ask him to change your life. And he will do that. Because he says, all you have to do is call on my name. Call on my name. Believe in my birth, my death, my resurrection, and you will be saved. Call on me. Jesus knows if you're sincere or if you're intent on evil. He knows everything. Have you done good? Great. He still knows your heart. And I'm telling you today, people, I'm telling you today, there's going to be a whole lot of good people in hell because they don't know Jesus. I hate to tell you that, but it's the truth. It's hard truth. There's people that don't know Jesus Christ. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's what Jesus said. Uh, you want to be angry about it? Don't be angry at me. I want your anger upwards. Understand, Jesus knows if you're sincere or not. Matthew chapter 23, he speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Again, if you believe Jesus is just full of love and he doesn't get frustrated, he goes, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites! Love that. Because he's telling it like it is. My God is honest and faithful. He says, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that go, that the outside may also be clean. People, Jesus tells it like it is. He's honest. And he's going, I know your heart. I know what this is. I know what this looks like. Now, Timmy, if you would, just fast forward to the, I'm just going to tell you, these are the three points. And I, we're not even talking about them. I'm just going to tell you what they are, and then we're going to end. Jesus knows the heart of man, period. He knows your heart. He already knows what it is. What's the next one? He desires the heart of man. What does that mean? He died for you so that you could be saved. He desires you. What's the last one? Saves the heart of man. He's the only one that can give you life. He's the only one that can give you satisfaction. So I encourage you today to give your heart over to him, to surrender to him, and allow, allow yourself to be known because he already knows you. Turn yourself to him. Confess yourself to him. Trust in him. He knows the heart of man. He knows. If you would, pray with me.
Father, we are so grateful. We are grateful that, that you, Lord, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us. Lord, you, you are here, you are seeking after us, you, are, you desire for us to turn to you and to proclaim you as Lord and Savior. You know our hearts. God, I pray today that if any, anyone who is here today, if they do not know you, if they don't have a personal one-on-one relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would step into their lives, Lord, that you would shake them up just like you did the temple here. That you would drive them to a place where they would seek after you. That you would, like you did with the money changers table, Lord, that you would flip their lives upside down because we need you. Help us. Show us how. Give us that encouragement, Lord, that that strength to step out in faith and to say, I trust you. Make it today. Make it today, God, that, that you impress upon our hearts just how important it is that if we have not committed ourselves to you, that we are in danger. I don't, I don't say this as a scare tactic. Lord, you've given us your word. You tell us what, what things are. You tell us what to expect. So God, help us to trust you more and increase our faith. Grow us where we need to be grown. Increase in us. Drive us to you. Father, I thank you and I praise you. We ask all these things in your precious name.